Welcome to the Freedom Fridays podcast with me, your host, Pete Clark, the Whispers Guy. Work seems to expand to the time that we give it. And I've been investing my time, occasionally on a Friday, to explore how we use our time, our energy, our attention, and the impact it has on our identity. I've been exploring over season one, some of the mindset shifts in the handcuffs of I have to, to the freedom of I choose to. And I've shared some conversations, some tips, some tools about how you might want to invest your own time, your own energy, your own attention, how you might want to, if you choose to, make some changes to your identity, how you might have freedom from I have to and design a life around I choose to. If that's of interest to you, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to this week's episode of the Freedom Fridays podcast, where today I'm chatting to a colleague. I'm chatting to an old buddy um, who is a twice authored person. He is a, a grandfather. Um, and I'm proud to say he is an Ironman. Jim Steele, welcome to the, the conversation. I, I see what you did there. A fellow Ironman. Is that what you meant to say? <laughs> yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> um, I, I've done one too. So, you know, you've done one. You're always an Ironman. Yeah, no, sure. Yeah. Although, I mean, you can probably claim yours as an official event. Whereas, uh, you know, we may get into this, but, you know, mine was an Ironman distance for reasons that may be worth talking about. <laughs> yes. In fact, just as you mentioned that, you're right, because I did an official event and the announcer's words as you're crossing the finish line, I can feel it. I've got goosebumps all over my body. Pete Clark, you are an Iron Man. Oh my God, that's a lifetime memory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I did mine on my own. <laughs> there won't even anyone else there. <laughs> That was insane. Anyway. Yeah, maybe we'll get into that. So, Jim. Um, yeah, maybe. Thank you for your time, mate. I, I know you've got things going on in the background, but what I want to talk about is your latest book. Yeah. Um, You produced a book, and <laughs> the title is extremely provocative. Um, Some would say even arrogant, and it's like, what the? Why have you, what's going on here? So I'd love to start there. And just for, for the yeah. viewers, Jim's wrote a book called Unashamedly Superhuman. Mm. Little letters underneath Jim Steele. <laughs> Please explain. Yeah, I, I'm impressed with all the little sticky sticky tapes along the side there. It's like you've actually read it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, yeah, when I selected the title Unashamedly Superhuman, I wanted to be provocative because, yeah. you know, Great who's sitting there going... Well, thank you. Who's who's sitting there going, I'm superhuman? That's ridiculous, right? Yeah. Um, however, it, the, the more you look at it, the more you look at the, the human condition and, and what's built into us through our nervous system, our physiology, and things that we've been playing around with for 20 years. Yeah. And when you put a spotlight on it, especially when you see people that do you know remarkable things, you can typically track it back to things that we all have access to. And I know that sounds a bit simplistic and maybe a bit motivational, which is not my intention, um, but what I wanted to do is to demystify some of the things that underpin, you know, high performance and, you know, and tying in well-being. I'll, maybe we'll explain why in a second. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, so the title Unashamedly Superhuman was designed to, A, I suppose, to provoke people to think, am I? 
how do you become? Um, and, and by the end of the book, my goal was for people to, 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 to have the realization that, yeah, in fact, you are. Um, and, and even though, and there's plenty of neuroscience to back that up. Um, and even though superhuman is the sexy word, unashamedly is the important word. Because unashamedly is this attitude of mind to go, well, if I am, what will I do with that? You know, prove it. <laughs> In what way can I demonstrate that or provoke myself to have this realization that we have these quite remarkable um, capabilities built into our system? Um, so that was my thinking behind that. And, and I wanted to demystify the three things in the three sections of the book of better, smarter, stronger. And better is, is performance potential. So how do you tap potential? Smarter is performance mindset. How do you tap into our mindset? And then stronger is performance fuel or, you know, how do we tap into our physiology? And the reason I mention that is because, you know, you and I have been to many conferences over the years and we hear people, especially in the corporate sector, say we got to tap our potential, change our mindset, become more resilient. And you go, yeah, but there's no value in that. Right. And if there was a, th a thread running through my mind when I was writing it, it was to turn these strap lines into strategies, yep. in into things that people actually go and use in a practical sense. Um, and I, I feel really confident and comfortable that, um, that, that I've managed to do that. So people can test the theories and judge by their own results, you know. Yeah. A slight aside, Jim, there's, there's many ways, there's many threads in there. A slight aside, um, for, for those that are listening and, and um, viewing, Jim and I, I was part of uh, the company that Jim and some colleagues started, the the, the Three Musketeers, or the, no, the Three Amigos, right? Uh, <laughs> late 90s, right? This is a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And Jim, and again, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, is one of the best on stage in the room narrative creator storytellers that i've ever seen and things like turn a strap line into a strategy i have used that a thousand times and i've never referenced jim Steele. <laughs> no, so i'm officially I, I, putting out there it's a reference courtesy yeah. of jim Steele. Yeah. Of course, it's a backhanded compliment, you know, and uh, <laughs> I'm sure it works both ways. I've probably forgotten things that I say that I've heard you yeah. say many years ago. <laughs> yeah. But uh, look, I do want to pick up on that, not that bit, but just to get a strap line to strap, because I, I, like you, I hear and see lots of people with lots of commentary and statements about what people need to do. You've got to tap yeah. into your potential. You've got to sleep better. You've got to move. Right? All these kind of things that, you know, if we've read about or heard about or thankfully less people than I think we'd like have actually used and applied. Whereas mm. what I've taken from your book is not only what, but how. Right. And almost appealing to a little bit of our goldfish mentality and this, you know, Snapchat mentality of give me the hack. Give me the three yeah. second version because I'm not going to listen to Sam Harris and Andrew Huberman for four hours. Give yeah. me the 10 second version, please. Right. Yeah. And I think that's a really good observation. And I mean, look, the reality is I, I call them hacks for sure. Performance yeah. hacks and well-being yeah. hacks only because that word seems to land well. Because yes. pe people do think I'm getting the quick route through. Yeah. I mean, the reality is there is no hack for high performance. Right. It's a it's a it's a lifetime pursuit. It's an ongoing process. But there are some hacks for things like managing stress, for things like, you know, hacking into flow, right? There are some hacks that people can use and, you know, and genuinely judge and see if they work for them, you know. Um, but, but you know, I, I, don't, I don't pretend it's easy, you know. And, 
you know, and I think when when you want to test some observations around performance and well-being, you know, you, you got to be prepared to push through the process, right? You know, and and which is why you know we, we mentioned the Iron Man. I mean, I wasn't initially, I really wasn't going to put it in the book. It was more of a a backstage process of me being a lab rat that I yep. wanted to test some observations because, you know, specifically when you think about tapping into you know physiology, this piece around stronger that I looked at. Um, you know, and there's a picture of me right at the beginning of the book of me at a party at uh, back end of 2018 with a fag in one hand and a big glass of red wine. And frankly, what best can be described as breasts. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, right, inherently. <laughs> but my point was that guy doesn't do an Ironman triathlon. And I just had my third knee operation. I've had two discs fused in the back of my sp lower, lower, lower spine. So structurally, I was creaking in my late 50s. So, you know, when I took on the, the idea, well, what can I do that's ridiculous? That's either going to completely confirm, yeah, physically, you kind of done your best and just prepare for a long ride into your old age. Yeah. Um, or it's going to completely turn around my belief about what's possible. Yeah. Um, and that was the purpose of, of doing the Ironman. Because, and I also realized that in order to do that, I was going to have to come up with some brand new life strategies because I'd had 50 odd years of injuries following, I'd done a few marathons and I always ended up in hospital afterwards having surgery. So it was a pattern of failure that I'd been, I'd been utilizing. And, and I came up with this, this when I came up with this concept, I, I utilized the cliche about swimming against the current, yeah. you know, swimming against the current, swimming against what's easy, swimming against what we're used to is challenging. Um, but swimming against the current for me was finding new ways of doing things that I just had no idea existed at the time. In fact, I, I'm just going to mention this. I, I picked up this book right back at the beginning by Scott Carney called What Doesn't Kill Us. And, and, and it said on the front how freezing water, extreme altitude and environmental conditions will renew our lost evolutionary strength. Yeah. And now forget about whether, where it goes. And I do reference Wim Hof and talk about him, quite an extraordinary individual. Yeah. It was that, that piece about our lost evolutionary strength. That I'm taking on this triathlon. I have no strategy or references for being anywhere near that. Quite the opposite. I need to find out what this lost evolutionary strength is. And so things like, you know, the, the ice baths, things like, you know, some really interesting break, you know, breathwork protocols for tripping into this fight or flight system, things like running barefoot. You know, I ended up running the marathon barefoot, right? So, and that was, a, that was life, life changing. Yeah. It, I mean, I wore barefoot running shoes, not, I, yeah, I had yeah. shoes on, but they're like, but there's like, Two Very mil on, on the bar. Yeah, yeah. And the reason I did, because I kept getting hurt. I kept getting injured. And, and, and I came across a guy called Tony Riddle, who, who ran the length of the UK, lands in John O'Groats, 30 miles in 30, 30 days, 30 miles, 30 days, right? Um, literally barefoot. And I just found this process for, for completely changing your way of running, where you did, I, and I'm not pitching it. It was, my, it was my, my experience. I haven't had an issue with my knees or back. For three years since I'd start, I start, I all my shoes are bare. I haven't worn a shoe with a heel for three years. Not that I wore heel heels, but but, but, they're, but they're, <laughs> that's a different podcast, <laughs> mate. Yeah, it's right. Um, but it, but it's it, it's changed my life. But the people I've spoken to, and I'm talking about medical practitioners too, yep. who have had a bit of physio or, or who've tried to turn me off the idea you can't run barefoot, you're going to cause more injuries. I said, look, all I'm telling you is I haven't had any pain for three years. I've not experienced that for 50 years and I'm running marathons and doing it an Ironman. So, you know, but, but that's going against the current against people's belief systems and viewpoints. 
and I, and my, my, my method is to judge by results. You test, like if it doesn't work, you find something else, right? We've always made that observation, but that was the, the sort of the, the level I was wanting to go to, to find completely new ways of operating physically in order to do this, take on this challenge. Yeah. Um, again, a slight aside, but it's coming back to a point that's in your book, which I loved. I'm going to nick this idea, by the way, when I do my book is in, and we'll put all the, the references and where you can buy the book in the show notes. But I love the QR codes. So in, okay. in the book, Jim's got a number of QR codes where if you QR code them, you follow the video. Now, the yeah. first video, which I, I'd remembered the trick. Right. But I did what you asked, and I, I've tried it on five people so far, and it works brilliantly. Right. It so does, if you're interested, yeah. if you're curious, if you're listening, go buy the book, do the QR code, and do the trick. But as long as you do right. it. Right. And I remember this from 20 years ago, we, we would all talk as we were doing our stuff around, you know, it's not magic. It looks like magic, mm. but it's not magic. Don't thank the magician, thank the strategy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and I put that in there, yeah. Carry on. Yeah, well, and I yeah, make that observation, you know, don't, we don't need to be in awe of the magician. And I mean that just generally in life, you know, we see people do amazing things and go, wow, man, if only I was like that. And you go, well, or look a little closer, get underneath the hood, underneath the bonnet, have a little look at what's underpinning that ability to do that. I'll give you a good example of this, which was a game changer for me, was Alex Honnold, the climber, oh. for Free Solo, the film, right? Solo. Remarkable, right? Oh. Um, yeah, and when you look at Alex Honnold, he is classified as being a superhuman, right? Yep. His achievement is unique. In fact, the definition, I, when I started writing this, I looked at the title, I defined superhuman. The term superhuman refers to enhanced qualities and abilities that exceed those naturally found in humans. That's how it's defined. So it's already suggesting it's not normal. But then the definition says these qualities may be acquired through one of three things, either a unique ability. So if you're born with some God-given talent that makes you special, okay, let's call you superhuman. That's not me or you or most people, right? Yep. Or it says a technological aids. So, you know, we walk around with our phones kind of strapped to our hands, which gives us instant computer power, access to all sorts of information. That gives us extra capacity. Okay, yep. well, I wasn't referring to that either. Or it says by um, by uh, tapping into it to potential. It says self-actualization, which is the yep. highest form of, you know, psychological development and potentiality. Yep. Um, and I wanted to demystify that because when you look at Alex Honnold, when you look closer, there are plenty of climbers that can climb you know, free so they can climb a mountain without needing their ropes. They don't use they, they use ropes, but they never need their ropes. Yep. Right? He does it without ropes. His superhuman ability is accessing his ability. It's not the ability. Yeah. Right. And I thought that was a game changer for me. I thought, yes, it's not just you know, he is he's special. His what's special about him is he has ways of influencing himself to be able to take on those challenges, but the skills he's tapping into are skills shared by many. Right. Um, so that that was the observation around around potentiality, you know, working out that was it was a was a game changer for me. Yeah, I think that's a really fascinating concept for people to one, understand and then to apply, because in many situations with the clients that we work with, when we're asking people to, you know, present in front of people or deliver a difficult, you know, anything corporate wise, you take them out of that context and you know, are you assertive in any aspect of your life? Yes. Oh, are you confident right. in any aspect of your life? Yes. Are you full of energy in any aspect of your life? Yes. So you've got the ability. Right. 
You don't have to go shopping for it. It's not a DNA thing. It's not a tech-enabled thing. It's You've got it in. So how do you take that and translate it into something you want to do at work, in a relationship, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and you're right. And, the, and that, that trick, that card trick, is, is yeah. a great example of that. And it is the best trick in the world. It always yeah. works. You don't need any skill, no practice required. It's immediately available to you. And yeah. you create what looks like magic. Yeah. You know, it's disappointing, but we know there's no magic right yeah. just process and strategy but that's yeah. that's such a that's such a revelation and it's good news <laughs> yeah yeah and until someone takes the deck off you and puts it away and if you follow the trick you know what that means then you've got to take a punt on the guess <laughs> yeah no indeed yes well you follow the process to the letter and it works <laughs> yeah yeah so um let me touch on two things then jim super the ship the okay. superhuman element first right what are we missing what are we what could we mm. tap into and this might be a long answer because I'm really interested in the second part. Because if anyone's right. read Andrew Huberman, they've read any of this stuff, they'll know what those things are, right? You know, yeah. the four basic tenets of self-care, sleep, nutrition, move and relax, right? Everyone can, yeah, I can sure. probably tell you what those are. What are they in terms of what you experienced? And what's been your experience yeah. about why people don't do it? Right. Okay. Um I could, I'll come to that second question first, only because it's quite topical. I was yeah. asked to go on a few radio shows last week. Yeah. Um, in the UK, at least they claimed it was National Quitting Day. Right. <laughs> so in terms of New Year resolutions, they were saying this is the day when everyone quits. Right. And, and I just got asked to go and comment on that. And, uh, and I said, well, first thing you might want to do is reframe that to National Persistence Day. Right. Instead of thinking of it as quitting day, yeah. let's think of what does it take to be persistent? You know, what causes us to be able to push through and be one of the, you know, one of those that does achieve the New Year resolutions, you know. Um, so I'll come on to that in, in just a second. In terms of what's missing, I remember reading, you know, Deloitte, we do a lot with Deloitte globally. Mm -hmm. um, there's a guy at Deloitte called John Hagel, who was a co-founder yeah. of the Center for the Edge, right? Yeah. And they did a global study of some of the world's most innovative, you know, high-performing business teams. And the observation they made was those that kind of go the furthest were always the ones tapping into flow states. And I had no, I didn't really know what, I'd never really heard of flow states. I was kind of aware of Michaeli, Chick sent me high and, you know, I read the book years ago, but well, I never really pursued, well yeah, yeah, I never really pursued that. Um, but during, you know, during the lockdown phase, you know, where for someone, you know, the, some of us that fly around the world speaking to audiences indoors, where that suddenly had no value. Yeah. You know, that was quite traumatic. I mean, I genuinely, I mean, not just the business fell off a cliff, but my identity fell off a cliff. Yeah. Um, and, and I and I just found myself looking for more content, more ideas, something that I'd been missing then, because clearly what I knew just wasn't enough. You know, I was finding it very challenging. Um, and I came across this this concept of flow, of, of really finding out what is it? And not just what is it, because I'll often ask audiences, so what's it like being in the zone? Can you describe it? And they all describe it. You know, you get a sort of sense of time distortion, time flies. It seems effortless. You've got access to your resources. It's this state of mind where you feel and perform at your best. And we all know it's a thing. But then you go, okay, well, look, tomorrow at three, you know that big meeting you got when you can do with being in the zone? Yeah. What are you going to do to make sure you're in the zone tomorrow at three? Yeah. Right? And and. And it's like, well, uh, I'm not sure what the process is. I go, well, that's the point. That's what we need to work out. So when I started to find out about that and look at the flow triggers, finding out ways to provoke the brain chemistry, you know, how to trigger that cocktail of drugs, 
mental, you know, the, the, the mental cocktail of neurotransmitters like dopamine, like a little adrenaline, like some endorphins, like some serotonin, anandamide I'd never even heard of, which kind of assists with pattern recognition and creativity. You know, even oxytocin, if it involves group flow, as soon as I started to work out how to tap into the, the, the neurochemistry, I didn't have to think about being in a good in a good state of mind. I didn't have to think about my attitude, right? I didn't have to think about, oh, what's the best mindset for this situation? I just started to focus on a much more pragmatic approach of how do you trigger the, neuro, trigger the neurochemistry? Because then once you find yourself in that place, the best of you tends to show up, you know? And, and, and if you don't get the result you need, well, that's probably a skill thing. Fine, we'll go back and relearn. You know, but that I think that was a was was an eye opener for me, um, in the context of writing the book, and that's the middle section, tapping into mindset, flow right. follows focus. You know, right. and anything that can drive focus into a situation enables you to tap into flow. So testing those those hacks, if you like, those those triggers, was a game changer. And I think the more people start to understand they have a little more control over that elusive state of mind, yeah. the more the more. It's almost like you don't have to worry about whether you'll quit because if you're in flow, the reward is in flow. It feels so good in the moments to be in that place that no one's moving away from that, right? It's almost like remove some of the moving parts and just build the process for triggering flow. And it, it ticks a lot of boxes, you know? Yeah. My experience of flow uh, personally has always been by accident. Yeah. Uh, almost afterwards. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. you and I are both, you know, golfers stroke hackers. Yeah. yeah. When you stand in front, you, you hit this cracking shot. It's just perfectly executed as you visualized it. And it like that was easy, but it's almost in retrospect. Yeah, absolutely right. And, 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 and you know, we discussed briefly before about when I, when I started writing the book yeah. and taking on the challenge to write a book. Look, I left school at 15, 16, you know, O level English grade C, right? After staying an extra year, <laughs> I had no references for yeah. writing, for putting together a thesis, for putting together a project like this. So I was way outside my comfort zone in terms of my identity. Yeah. Um, and so when I was in the middle of it all and, and really starting to regret taking it on, because I thought, I just don't know if I've got what it takes to do this. I was starting to research flow. Uh, and, and what I started to understand was there's a flow cycle so you, you're right, retrospectively, we pop out and go, wow, that was phenomenal. I had an amazing day yesterday. I just kind of got into the groove. Yeah. Well, it turns out there's a flow cycle. There are four stages to flow. Okay. And I tell you, a great place to see this happen. I, I don't know if you've seen the film Get Back with the Beatles. They had this documentary came out a couple of years ago. Yep. Amazing. There were these three sort of two and a half hour programs of the Beatles where they, it was their last ever album. It was their last time working together. They ended up on the rooftop of their offices in Savile Row. There's a big concert outside. It's quite famous. That was the sort of the end point of this film. But they were having to write an album in a matter of weeks together in the studio. And they didn't really get on at the time, you know, for all the reasons we now know. Anyway, the point is, when you watch it, you see them creating these songs that are now known to us all, like Get Back, some big songs that we all know. You see them kind of just in the process of struggling through how to write a song and what you observe and as i was watching this i was also you know studying up on the flow cycle the flow cycle starts with struggle it's a struggle phase yeah. right the struggle phase is where you're just organizing your thinking pulling together the bits of information you need for the project you know it's that phase where you're pulling your hair out a bit it's quite stressful the struggle phase follows it is followed by the release phase 
right? Now, the release phase, it's a bit like whenever you're working and finding it a bit challenging, do you ever find you could just kind of, okay, I need to get some air, or I'm going to go and jump on the bike, or I'm going to, or I'm going to sleep on it. And, and you kind of wake up or you come out, you come back from the walk and go, okay, I got it. It's almost like you need this release phase for the brain just to get into the subconscious and get you out of the struggle phase. And then phase three is flow. So it's struggle, release, flow. And then after flow, flow sessions, I mean, if you look at ultradian rhythms, you know, again, Huberman talks a lot about this, um, you know, these 90 minute chunks of time during the day where you need to operate, your, you know, organize your day around those 90 minute chunks maximum. If you're dialed in, tuned in, focused, you need a break after 90 minutes if yep. you want to maintain that level. So the flow cycle ends with recovery. So having a, you know, a 10, 15 minute recovery phase, which might be a little breath work. It might be, again, some fresh air, some light exercise. It's active recovery. It's not just resting. It might be meditation, put some tunes on. So you can see how this flow cycle works. It's struggle, release, flow, recover. Struggle, release, flow, recover. So I, that's what I was using when I was writing chapters of the book. I knew, I got to the point where I knew the cycle was going to work. I knew I'd start struggling and it'd be painful and I'd be doubting myself. And I'd be thinking, this is, this is useless. I spent two hours writing this particular chapter. I'd read it and go, who's going to read that? But I go, I know it's going to work. In a minute, I go, okay, stop, go for a walk, get some air, get on the bike. Right. I was training for the triathlon, so I had lots of I had lots of need yeah. to do an hour's exercise three times a day. Yeah. And I thought I almost without fail, Pete, I'm not kidding. I'd come back and I'd be in the zone and I'd just be pulling ideas together and it would be flowing. And, and you could feel it like rather than just retrospectively, I, I could I could literally go. I'm literally in the zone right now wow. and recognize it. And then you get to the point where you go, OK, I'm going to pause now. I'm going to take a break because the, the thing with flow is you should take a break even when you're still in the zone. Rather than go, I, I, didn't, I didn't break the spell. Right. No, no, no. You, you, you put in a good 90 minutes, pause, get some fresh air, come back to it. You know, you probably go straight back into the flow again. Right? You don't have to go back through the whole cycle, but you might do. Sometimes you're back in struggle phase, you plan a little release exercise, and then you're into flow again. And anyway, it became a model that I, I could depend on right? and tested it over and over again. It was fascinating. Wow. Uh, Jim, I'd be really interested in your view in, in all the, the speaking gigs that you do, the people that you speak to. Um, and it might be a different interpretation of the word, so I'm interested. What, what's your observation about people's willingness to visibly or consciously or deliberately experience struggle? Yeah, okay. I think I think you've got to have a reason. I think one of the great things about about getting in the zone or getting flow is you probably you probably chose to be there right and i think we, you know willfully taking on a challenge and reframing that cognitively yeah um, i think it's critical I, I think as soon as you make the choice that i'm choosing to be in this situation i'm struggling with this this is difficult but it's part of my desired outcome to achieve x whatever x happens to be and i use this reframe in the book i talk about i talk about the you know accept the adventure and the reason i use the word adventure because it sounds like a positive spin, and I suppose to a certain extent it is. Look, you could look back over the last few years. If I said, man, in the last three years, Pete, it's been an adventure. <laughs> if nothing else, it's been. And if I go, I don't know what's going to happen in the next 12 months. Who knows? But I tell you something, it's going to be an adventure. The word adventure, you tend to lean into it psychologically. It's almost like you go, what? <laughs> right? Adventure, because it triggers dopamine naturally you know yeah. and it sets off this seeking system so you know the seeking system of the brain when you buy the new gray audi you start yeah. seeing gray audis everywhere because you're yeah. sensitized right 
So as soon as you go, this is challenging, demanding, it's going to involve some struggle, but you give some value to the struggle. It's part of the process. It's it's, the the barrier to entry is you've got to accept a little bit of struggle. But if you can frame it up and go, you know, some of our greatest achievements in life are, are, are those moments where we accepted the challenge and we came out the other side. It doesn't mean we want things to be difficult or we want pain. It means we just value the process that something good's going to come out of this. Yeah. And, and I think it's a, it's, a, it's a really quick strategy to cognitively reframe something, yeah. right? And go, this is difficult, but it's inevitable. Life's challenging. I mean, there's no easy route through that, right? Yeah. And I tell you, I, I tell you, I, I've had a, a fa- I do mention the book, a fascinating take on potential. It changed my life, uh, genuinely. It was, I was so inspired. It was a clinical psychologist. And he was saying, and he, he was saying about how to tap potential. Normally, it's this motivational thing we hear about. This was a this was a clinical psychologist's view. He said, if you're going to tap potential, you typically set a goal. And I and he said, I would suggest you pick the biggest goal that you can imagine, just generally in life, because when you pick that goal, it helps you to prioritize what's important. Yeah. But the problem is when you hit that and you start taking action, at some point you're going to hit a wall. You're going to go, I don't know if I'm good enough, because you picked a big goal. That's the struggle. But then what happens, of course, is your brain starts to form new neural codes. You start to find new parts of you. You start to upskill in certain areas. I got to get better with people if I'm going to do this. I got to get better with my motivation. I got to get better with how I communicate. I got to get better with whatever the better is. You start to pull on new skills. So you start developing these new parts of you. That's potential. And and he said, how much potential is there to tap? And I love this bit. He said, he said, well, you know, built into our DNA is all the genetic coding of our ancestors. And how you access it is through situational stress. Right? You take on more load, and the brain has to go and process and find access to this, D- this DNA, this potential. And I thought, it's such a fascinating view. right? You go, you need a goal, you need situational stress. Well, that's the struggle. That's how you unlock potential, to develop new parts of you to achieve new things. Suddenly, it all makes sense. Yeah. Right? It all fits. fascinating um the the second part i wanted to ask you about is the the release phase um how often do you think people without even knowing experience the release phase but they experience it as frustration you know as we would typically say fascination yeah yeah there's that old metaphor from years ago wasn't there? i remember tony robbins talking about uh you know boiling a kettle you know it's like frustration frustration and then as soon as you get that temperature steam comes out and it 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 changes the dynamics right so all the the anxiety becomes the point to it and i suppose that's i I suppose that is the case i mean the release phase you know it's it's one of those things that if you you have strategies for it again it's like it's like building in some some cognitive understanding how can i cause myself to get in this release phase so things like priming questions you know when you kind of when you when you start the day and you think, right, just five or 10 minutes before I kick things off, you know, what am I going to let go of today? What am I just going to let go? Of? I tell you, I use that one so much on, on, on these calls, yeah. you know, because who knew what Zoom even was, right? And, the, yeah. and, and this, suddenly you're like, the, you're like the speaker and you're the DJ, right? Yeah. You've got to cover up and the producer and the marketer. It's just not my thing. And the yeah, stress, yeah. I to get the stress of these yeah. calls was was yeah. was for not the content or no. the audience. It was the it was the AV. Yeah, you know. So yeah. I, I really got into this process of going. I'm today. I'm letting go of tech stress. I'm just letting go of tech stress. I know it sounds stupid just to say that. It's something interesting happens when you prime yourself yeah. and go. What am I going to let go of today? And then what am I going to do? What am I going to absolutely focus on today? 
You know, what is my priority of all the things I could do? What's the one thing that is going to happen today? Yeah. You know, what am I grateful for is another one. I mean, gratitude is a weird thing. I, 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 like I mentioned that in the book, I would never have talked about gratitude. I always thought that was a bit like navel gaze, you know, navel gazing and a bit self-congratulatory and a bit like weird, you yeah. know. When I was doing the Ironman, this became really interesting. When I got into deep into the into the run, so, you know, when you, you know, you start the marathon about three in the afternoon, you've been at it since six in the morning. Yeah. It's, quite, it's quite a challenging thing. Honestly, Pete, I lost count of the times when I was running that I said, thank you. I don't even know what I was saying thank you to or for. I just found myself saying thank you for the opportunity to be able to test myself to do this. And it sounds a bit odd to say that out loud, but it, it, meant, it, it meant something. I got this little boost every time, this little release. Right. So, again, if you start in the day with what am I letting go? Of? What am I going to do today? What am I just grateful for? I don't mean I'm glad to be alive. I mean, yeah. what what skills am I grateful that I've got that's going to help me today? Just I just focus on one or two of those. And I'm, I'm grateful for my composure, for my courage and for my confidence, my competence, you know, and those questions prime this. And that kind of sets the wheels in motion. Same thing if you do it late at night, at the end of an evening, reflecting on the day. And then you think about what, you know, people that win the day win the morning, start it the night before, right? Just a few minutes. What am I going to do tomorrow that's going to make a difference? Just having a little bit of time to prime, and then yeah. you go to sleep and the brain does its work. You know, and, and so often you get up in the morning and you access the information. So I think just, you know, in terms of, you know, the release phase, provoking it with, with, with priming questions is a great way of cutting through that frustration, you know, and, and getting to that point of it is fascinating. Yeah. It, it just is fascinating. And I do remember, again, a lasting memory from you was when we were working together in the early 2000s and we reframed and we redesigned a program we had. Your view was, well, it's all in the framing. And you had to say it two or three times for us to get it to kind of go, oh, yeah. And I remember you doing that on many speaking stages where frame, 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 content. Yeah. And people go, oh, I get it. I find it fascinating, truly fascinating, that people kind of know that they'd, they'd position and frame and prime client meetings or when it's an important client thing, but they wouldn't necessarily do it for themselves. Yeah, that's a good observation. Yeah, yeah. And, and that goes for any activity. You know, before you go out and, and you've got a two-hour bike ride to do, before you go out, just give it a few minutes and think it through. Yeah. You know, just think about what you're going to tap into, what, what your focus is, where you're at, what your goal might be. I don't just mean the end goal. I'm a big believer, by the way, in rewarding effort, not outcome. That's been a really revelation as well. Yeah. You know, if you want to understand persistence genuinely, how to tap your own dopamine, drip feed it. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, it's classic when you know sports, a good example, you know, so you're almost counting the lamppost. Right. So you chunk it down. Yeah. But genuinely rewarding yourself psychologically, a little verbal pat on the back, you know, for the effort. You know, you've, you've sat through this last two hours working on this project, trying to pull together this presentation. It's not even done yet, but I want to pause and just go, I, you know, I'm impressed by your effort level. You've given us the best you've got. Okay, we'll take a break. We'll get a release and we'll come back and go again. Rather than leave frustrated and come back, just reward the effort, you know, rather than just the outcome. And that's a great strategy. Uh, it's only in retrospect, um, as I a little bit like you got a little bit more into flow and all the kind of people that are talking about it. I remembered that as a kid, I was mid-teens walking home from a mate's house to my house. It might have been a kilometre and a half, maybe, not sure. In the dark, a little bit worried about, you know, would I get bullied or set upon by a couple of the local guys? And there was a bit of a hill in it. And without have, having read no books, nothing whatsoever, 
started counting lampposts. <laughs> and there was 27 lampposts between my mate's house and my house. And it would just give me that chunking exercise of going, yep. And what I found was, and I don't know if you've experienced this, as I started, if I focus too much on the end, as in, God, I've got 27 lampposts to go, I'd mm. feel pretty crap. Whereas I can't, oh, I've done three now. I've done four now. I've done five now. And I can't remember. But then if I got to a point where I've only got four left, mm. it became very different. And I, I don't know where the line is. But I wonder if yeah, you, you come that. across that, you know, focusing yeah. on the gain, not the gap at the start, but then towards yeah. the end, focusing on the gap, not the gain. Yeah, totally. I think, yeah, for sure. And and whether I've read that or tested it, you know, starting starting the marathon, you don't want to be thinking about the end. You know, I, you know to visualize the end, visualize celebrating. Well, that's a good tool when you're motivating yourself to train, you know. Yeah. But that's not a good strategy because it's so far away. It can almost be demoralizing, you know. And I, I I remember an iteration of that, a simple iteration. Like if you if you weight training, if you're doing ten reps, you know, the first five count up, one, two, three, four, five, and then the second five count down, five, four, three, two, one. Interesting. You know, so you first half you're counting up, so you're recognizing what you're achieving, and then when you get to a critical point, now you count down. Now you're moving towards the end game. That's a great right. strategy. And maybe that's a metaphor for all sorts of, of things where you can apply that thinking. Um, but I think that's sound in terms of motivation, yeah. you know, rewarding yourself for the achievement that you're going to get yourself going. Yeah. And if you really need to, then just count down towards the end. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, Jim, I've got, I've got a question about recovery. And then I, I do want to dive with a little bit of time I've got left into the unashamed yeah, yeah, sure. part. Because I think that is, you know, in the main part of it. Mm. Um, you mentioned active recovery. Yeah. Right? I guess that's the opposite to passive recovery. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. How would you observe people? What's the difference between passive recovery versus active yeah. recovery? Yeah. I mean, there's there's mileage in resting for sure. I mean, re recovery is recovery, and you know, the, I suppose the the, uh, the the recovery of all recoveries is sleep. That's what the data would suggest. You know, um, but active recovery is something that's restorative, right? That restores you. You know, so when you say, you know, if I'm going to take 10 minutes and go and just get some fresh air and, and you know, put on a bit of a pace when I'm walking and just kind of take a little bit of energy, that's restoring some energy. I don't want to do something that's going to deplete. It's like, you know, during a recovery break, you know, switching off distractions only because, I mean, it might be pleasant to kind of do a bit of social media surfing, but it's cognitively taking load, right? So recovery is to restore yourself. And I remember reading an article, and I do refer to this uh, by Justin Rosenstein, um, who wrote this article about a distraction? It's called "What What Price Your Attention" was the name of the article, and he, and he, you know he was talking about how these 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 programmers from Google, Twitter, you know, Facebook were, were were decoupling themselves from these platforms that they designed to be so addictive. Yeah, right. And he said he he likened Snapchat to a Class A drug, and he changed his operating system to stop it. And he and you know and he said that the like button he called as he called it a pseudo pleasure, bright things of pseudo pleasure. And he should know because he created it, right? It was originally called the awesome button. And he was saying that on average, people spend, this is the data, three hours a day on social media, tapping, swiping, and clicking 2,600 times a day. Now, that's not obviously me and you, but the others. That's what the, the others are doing. <laughs> yeah, that's right? everybody else, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> now, I've got no issue with social media. It's a, pretty, it's a great tool. But it's one thing going on it to do something. It's another thing going back and checking and going, right, uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. 
texts, emails, Facebook, Twitter, link, that pattern of just going back over and over again. Yeah. And he said it fractures focus. It fractures our attention. It's like kryptonite for flow, right? Um, and so we sort of say, and the, the idea is we have to be able to, you know, to, to resist these impulsive urges, yeah. right, of snacking, checking text, checking social media. When we're doing a piece of work, when we all decided, I want to focus on this now, all those little distractions take energy. And, and to your point about active recovery, like if I got noise, noise cancelling headphones on, yeah. they have batteries in them, don't they? Noise cancelling headphones. In other words, they're using energy, just cancelling noise. The batteries will run. They're not doing anything. They're just cancelling noise. Well, I think it's the same for our brain, right? We, we're using energy just because there's so much noise, yeah. right? So to have some sort of recovery, active recovery, is, is to switch off as much as you can from the load, cognitive or physiologically, you know? So, you know, I guess some of the, 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 the observations would be, you know, outside tends to beat inside. Not always, I like to think meditation is an incredible tool for refocusing, but outside tends to beat inside. You've got 10 minutes, you know, fully detached, beat semi-detached, switch it off. Yeah. You know, um, movement tends to beat stationary. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're just some simple observations that, you know, social tends to beat solo. You know, if you're with somebody and you yeah. you went out for a walk with somebody you quite like, having a conversation about something other than work without your phone, getting some fresh air for 10 minutes, 15, that's a great recovery strategy. Yeah. You know, you're probably going to come back to it. So you can go again. Now, to me, recovery, to me, recovery is about going back for more stress. You know, when I talk about well-being, it's not, I, I'm all for the well-being genre. It, to me, well-being, it's not about just resting. When I wrote the book, I wanted to combine those two things, high performance and well-being. And, and I got challenged by a client three years ago. That's how it all started. Somebody, one of the global leaders at Deloitte said, have you got anything on high performance and well-being? And I said, not really. I said, surely it's one or the other. You're either a sort of type A go-getter or you look after yourself, right? Yeah. Which is ridiculous. And obviously it is ridiculous. And so my, my, the whole purpose of me was to try and find out how do you tie those two things together? And, and so well-being was a conduit to take on more load. Right. So active recovery was a process to be able to go back in and take on more stress because I, I got no problem with stress. It's, the stress won't take you down. It's yeah. the lack of recovery that will take you down. Yeah. Right. By the way, being in the zone in a flow state is as stressful as being stressed out <laughs> in yeah. terms of on your the load on your system. You have to recover from flow because it's intense, you know, and um, and also there's this sort of silent stress that we experience. I tell you, I had a meeting with interesting people. So I took, I got this, 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 um, this whoop strap, right, to measure my, but yeah. So whether you got Apple Watch, Garmin's, whoop straps, yeah. Aura rings, I, I got it for the Ironman. I was told you better focus on recovery as much as you do your training. I thought, okay, never thought of that, right? So I was looking at some of the, you know, every morning I wake up and it gives me my data and it says you are 80% recovered, take on strain. Or it says you are 30% recovered, prioritize recovery. Right. Well, this one morning it said 28% recovered. Now, 28% recovered is like doing a two hour run the day before and maybe having a bit of a late night. And that's not a great amount of recovery. I'm not sleeping well. Yeah. And I thought 28%. I had a good night's sleep. I didn't even train the day before. I thought, what happened yesterday? So I looked at the data and it gives me these two, these two events happened the day before, 80 minutes and 60 minutes, where the strain level was equal to two two hour runs. Wow. And I was sat on my stool speaking at a conference twice i had two speeches my average heart rate was 156 beats a minute <laughs> these two speeches sat on my stool right and i enjoy that it wasn't like i was in pain yeah. you know you know if my heart rate's going to be up to 130 140 
sat on a stool just because I'm dialed in, I'm focused. Because look, you and I know that, you know, when you're under pressure, three things align. It's important to you, there's yeah. uncertainty, and you're going to be judged, either yeah. by yourself or somebody else. When those three things collide, you are under pressure. i got no problem with that. In fact, I think that gives us competitive advantage because we're prepared to put ourselves under pressure, right? So when I talked about recovery, it was that I want to do more of those things that demand, take a demand on me physically and mentally, but I want to fall over, right? So that the, the recovery was, was to build in the recovery to oscillate through the day, not recover at the end of the day, but build yeah. in these two 10 or 15 minute breaks, late morning, mid-afternoon. So that becomes part of your high-performance strategy. Recovery yeah. is part of your high-performance strategy, not not just getting over your day, yeah. right? And that way you find you get to the end of the day and the corner phrase, I think I got it from Colin, one of our, our, our colleagues, um, you know, your family gets the best of you, not what's left of you, right? Um, you have to oscillate, build in, stress, recover, stress, recover, stress, recover. So the active recovery is just, a, a, again, is to facilitate taking on more load, whether that's because you're stressed out, okay, well, that's maybe a strategy thing, or you're putting yourself under stress by getting in the zone, you know, you still need to recover. I, I do wonder, Jim, and it's a kind of semi point of view, if this almost invisible pandemic of burnout yeah. is because people haven't worked out active recovery well enough. They're recovering well, I, yeah. at the end of the day or the end of the week or yeah, the end I mean, of the year, two weeks holiday, not in between. Who even thought about it? I mean, who even knew? I mean, you know, listen, let's be honest. Back in the 90s, burnout was a badge of honour. It was. Right? It was like, you know, get a first in, last out, right? If you're not burning out, you're not trying hard enough. You know, it's like, and they were the heroes, inverted commas, yes. ludicrous, right? Yeah. But, you know, because that, if, if, if the belief system is, you know, recovery is a cop-out, I ain't got time to recover. I'm meetings back to back to back to back. I mean, there was some great data I've been talking about this recently. I only saw it like back in the last year that Microsoft put out um, where they did some research. They had, they had their teams with these, these, these um, brain caps, caps on measuring brain activity. And they did four meetings back to back. And they measured the stress levels, a buildup of, of cortisol, adrenaline in their yeah. system. Not particularly stressful meetings, but what happens when you have four back meetings back to back? And what they found was the stress accumulated it, it, the stress built over those four meetings. Then they had them the following day putting a 10 minute break between each of four meetings. And during those 10 minutes, they did something active. They just took a stroll, did some stretching, did a bit of breath work. And they, and they again, monitored their brain activity. And there was a little bit of stress in the first meeting, but it was, exa it was exactly the same for each meeting. There was no accumulation. And you can see the colors on these charts were like bright orange in the, on day one by the end of it. Where day two, it was mainly blue, a little bit of orange. And you go, that's like a silent stress. We're not even aware of that, really. Yeah. But it all adds up. So the idea is to build recovery in just to mitigate against this silent stress. Yeah. Still a fantastic strategy for performance. Yeah, wow. Jim, then maybe that's a nice segue if you've got time. Um, and again, the, the title of the book, I think, is one of the best I've read because it goes, kind of what? It, it kind of forces you to go know and dive into it a little bit. So it's great. The unashamedly part. Mm. What have we got to be ashamed about? Yeah, it's not interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I, it's our conditioning around identity. You know, you know, we, we're just conditioned. You think you're special, you do. You think you, you think you're something. You, you think you're it. <laughs> you know, we're brought up in school not to do that, not to sort of stand out in, yeah. in a way, I suppose. And I'm not saying everybody, but there's definitely a, a cultural, you know, modesty that that prevents us from saying we're superhuman. And that, that is the point. 
and I'm, you know, I, I'm almost half joking about saying it out loud. I mean, I do mention that story that that when I was at a conference some years ago, and this individual said to me during the lunch break, "I got this. I'm running the London Marathon in five months, and I'm just freaking out. How do I deal with the stress?" You know, and I said, "Well, what are you asking me?" He said, "I, I, said, I just want to know how do I?" Do? He said, "Someone died last year. They dropped dead." He said, "Look at me. I'm no athlete. I'm just signed up with a charity." I said, "Hang on a second. You've got a marathon coming, and you just said you're no athlete." There's a bit of a disconnect there between your goal and your identity. Think about that. I said, I said, honestly, my best of, look, if your goal is to reduce the stress, just don't do the marathon, right? Take it out of your schedule and the stress goes away. I think it's a credible strategy. He said, oh, I got to do it. I've signed up for it. I said, well, if you're going to do it and you want to reduce stress, you've got to align your identity with that, with your vision. I said, so, you know, when we're out tonight at this networking event and someone says, what do you do? I want you to say, amongst other things, um, oh, by the way, I'm a marathon runner. And he went, I haven't done it yet. I said, I understand that, but you've got to start telling the truth early on this one, right? I said, so when you say I'm a marathon runner, I know you haven't done it, so do you, but your brain doesn't care. It triggers the seeking system. I said, so as soon as you go, I'm a marathon runner, I said, you know, you'll start seeing things a little differently. And I said, by the way, you can justifiably call yourself a marathon runner. You've got one in your schedule. Who does that? Marathon runners. You're training for this thing. Who trains five times a week? Marathon runners. I said, you're probably reading about running. Are you reading about running? He went, I do read about running. I said, who reads about running? He went, marathon runners, correct. I said, you're doing the things marathon runners would do. So you can justifiably call yourself a marathon runner. But ultimately, what do they do? They run marathons. That wouldn't freak them out. You'd expect it in your schedule. And I went through exactly that same process with the book. I'm an author. And I mentioned that. Really? <laughs> right? Oh, I'm an Iron Man. Oh, really? Right? Yeah. The biggest challenge was, was, was assuming the identity right? The label. And I'm only half kidding about saying it out loud. You know, I'm unashamedly superhuman. I wouldn't say that out loud. Yeah. But I, I tell you what, I say it to myself because, because why wouldn't I say that? Yeah. I've, I've got the data to prove it in terms of our, our potential, our resources, what we got access to. Um, so why wouldn't I say that? Because by saying it, it causes the brain to go looking for evidence and you start taking on things that you might do. And the unashamedly bit is, taken on some things that would be interesting where I, honestly you're going to realize there's more to you than meets the eye that's my objective with this book you know well jim you've you've reinforced uh the the fanboy element i had and, and always will have in <laughs> in, in the jim Steele narrative creative way of looping this and looping that in that, that this is a brilliant example um sure. so for you then what's What's next? Given your honest yeah. superhuman, what's the next yeah. superhuman feat you're going to go for? You know, there's a couple of things on my mind. I mean, I got to, I've obviously got to do an Ironman that's official. <laughs> so I, I'm signed up yeah. for Copenhagen, which is where it started three years ago. And I obviously I couldn't do it because I had the bike accident and yeah. woke up in an ambulance. And that was the end of that. So I had to put it off for a couple of years. Then COVID kicked in. So what was supposed to be a 12 month goal became a three, three, sorry, a three year challenge. Yeah. Um, so I want to go back and close that loop at, a, at an official event. Um, but, you know, I, you know, unashamedly superhuman, I'm toying with the idea of unashamedly superhuman in motion. And in motion is in application, in, 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 in how people are using the idea, they're using the, the content, the unashamedly piece will be the main focus of that. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, I, and I'm, I'm looking at it from a, from a variety of different angles, you know, um, and maybe I, you know, I'll mention this is not something I'd mentioned before on podcasts. Um, and, and it's and it's a it's a good news story, Pete. Um, 
but it but it didn't start that at the back end of last year in November. So you know, I was told I had I had skin cancer, right? Which sounds like a bit of a bum bum in the vibe on the podcast, right? but. <laughs> <laughs> but I was told it was it's like, you know, stage two, it's it's a certain depth where it's spreading. And, you know, we got to get you in quite quickly. And I had this big patch taken on my back and big insertions under my arm. And I took out lymph nodes to see if it gone into the blood. And and I didn't find out until about two weeks ago. I had the appointment on the back of the surgery to get the news. Was it going to be, you know, we got a whole nother story here now and another yeah. chapter? Yeah. Or is it is it not? Is it? Is it? Is it? Is it? Is it all tidied up, and you're going to be fine? We'll keep an eye on you. Anyway, that that period from back end of December to the middle of January was fascinating for me, because I really got to the point. I mean, I took it as a reframe. I got to the point where it didn't matter what the news was. I mean, that sounds ridiculous, but I'd reframed it to such an extent where I'd had a a, a real wake up call in life about appreciating life, appreciating challenge appreciating things that I maybe took a little for granted it was a real wake-up call mm -hmm. and of course it was challenging initially but but the value in it the value in it was to be able to see things through a completely different lens right and, and making the most of the moment and now and, and and experiences anyway look the long long and short of it is I got to the I got to the meeting and and, and the news couldn't have been better right it's, it was all in the site localized in the wound site it's not spread it's not in the lymph nodes i'll be checked every three months for five years and we're good but that but that the point of it was people having news like that people receive that kind of news i even say in the book ironically when i talk about stress look it's not good if someone tells you you got cancer i didn't know at the time i probably had it at the time when i was writing that but yeah. but, but it's not the news wasn't bad news the news was news right how we frame it moving forward is what typically causes us to either move in this direction or this direction and i'm not making light of it but i've had a unique um opportunity to see it through the lens of that information wow. right and really start to think about the content of this book and how i how i've tapped into it to help me through what was an interesting three or four weeks so and i tell it and again people i've not mentioned this to anybody on any of the i only mention it because i'm your friends um and and it's a good news story it, it, it's not i'm not going this is not bad yeah, but it was fascinating, and so I, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pursue that a little bit with some of the, the cancer charities, and you know, and you know, sort of tell that story, that narrative of yeah. how do you take that information, and what do you do with that information in a way that can at least put you back on the front foot. Let's put it that way, at least yeah. put you back on the front foot. So that's yeah. something else I'm going to explore. Wow, um, thank you so much for sharing that, Jim. That's all right. I. Uh... I'm really I, I felt that um, I, I've got goosebumps that was that was raw and real uh, I, I really I know we're doing this publicly kind of but I just really appreciate you sharing that yeah well it's not something I'm going to talk about on my speeches no <laughs> <laughs> and then at the end of your motivational motivation yeah. talk yeah but, uh, but I but I think it, it does have it is relevant and it has it will yeah. form part of this next book I think because yeah. you know Hanashemi Superhuman in motion is the, is how you move through things with with yeah. some of these observations yeah. and ideas yeah uh, and you mentioned perspective one of the you know there's thousands and millions of quotes out there that you know i still come across new ones oh, i haven't heard that before someone i came across maybe two years ago now was and i thought it was brilliant because i hadn't heard it was that we're we've got two lives and the second life starts the minute you realize you've only got one yeah that's fascinating and that's, it's a great, a great perspective line. quote isn't it yeah yeah and and it's you know we talk about reframing and we talk about you know tapping into positive states yeah. um 
and and it's and sometimes that's easier said than done, right? And and you know that's why I take this as been an amazing opportunity because I but uh, I've been able to go through a process where I had to draw on a lot of ideas that were yeah. just ideas. Yes. It suddenly became very real, and whether it, look whether it was the you know I took on the triathlon as a as as the lab rat to learn about how to really kind of go to a place I didn't understand like whether I could go. Yeah. If I'd have known the pandemic was coming, I wouldn't have bothered with a triathlon because that would have done the job. I could have written the book about responding to that. And if I'd known that I was about to go, oh, you, you've got cancer, I wouldn't have, I, I would have written about, you know, they were all the same to me. The, the, the pandemic, the triathlon, the bike accidents, yeah. right? The, the cancer diagnosis, they're all the same sorts of things. Yeah. And formulating a process where we can work through those things and move forward. And, and again, step, stay on the front foot. You know, that to me is unashamedly superhuman. It, it, you know that that's it's the point you know that i'm trying to make and, and the book's not about me it's about everyone's version of that you know which uh, again you know post this jim will will you know promote it and recommend everyone buys it and at least read some of it not just the the front cover um <laughs> yeah. i'm going to finish with this question jim um if you would indulge uh, let's imagine you've got the opportunity to send everyone that is willing to receive a, a letter uh, and the letters old school, handwritten, so they're going to open it and go, who's this from, blah, blah, blah. And you've got to use as few words as possible to leave them a message about unashamedly superhuman. Not the book, but the principle mm. of tapping into your potential and, you know, you've got more, you're more than you appear, all that sort of stuff. How would you summarize it in a letter? Wow, okay. Um I think if I was the first words that came to mind when you are, when you were asking that question is I could sum it up in two words and, and the two words would be test yourself. <laughs> right. Because they're the things that, you know, I've moved away from those in life many times. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know if I want to test myself in that situation. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, I think that's, that would be my, my message. You know, the book is full of hacks and strategies to support you, me, when you test yourself. Testing ourselves, you know, it, it has a negative connotation. And yet to me now, it is the most positive connotation, you yeah. know. So maybe I'll just leave it there and keep it simple. Mate, and, and you know what the irony is? Uh, that was such a test because I didn't warn you about that. <laughs> all right and there's quite there's quite a lot in this book right that's really helpful you could have said anything and so yeah. that's the very essence of the message you just were tested yeah. and you went i just i'll say something so <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's been again long time between drinks far too many and yeah for sure I, I so appreciate given what you've got going on jumping on this and having a conversation with me i think there's some fantastic cool. stuff and I, I do remember some of the stories from our old times, which, again, <laughs> still told the way you tell them. People go, wow, that's a great story. That's a great insight. So I'm really grateful. Um, I'm really thankful and, and humbled that you'd come and join us on on the podcast. I'm really, really thankful. So thank you very much. Well, th th thanks for the opportunity. It's uh, been an absolute pleasure. And you would be. Cheers, Jim. All right.